Let me invite you to begin with me now this morning in the Apostle Paul's second letter to his protege Timothy, where we will read a portion now both from the first and the third chapters. So the book of 2 Timothy in the New Testament, and we will begin reading in chapter 1, verse 1. Verses 1 through 5, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And then look over to chapter 3, where we will read verses 10 through 17. Still writing to Timothy, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, Love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Father, I pray that you equip the men of God and particularly today the women of God in this room for every good work and particularly for the work of motherhood and that you will have taken the equipping that you've done in me over the last couple of days and the word now that we have before us and help us to do this well. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to join me now for a few moments in your mind's eye in the ancient city of Lystra in what is now Turkey, two millennia ago almost. So weave your way with me through the streets of the ancient city. We are in search of the home of a young Jewish woman, a disciple of Jesus named Eunice. And as we track her down and eavesdrop through the open window, we find that sitting at this young woman's knee sits a little boy named Timothy, clothed in a little tunic that she has probably made with her own hands, belly filled with Mediterranean food that she herself has prepared for the family, and here is the little boy sitting on the floor as uh, on a floor that she has worked herself to keep clean. And as we watch mother and son together, we begin to to decipher that she's teaching him something. 
And as we listen for a while and come back to the scene, perhaps several days in a row, we realize that the content of her instruction is that of heroic stories and also tragic ones sometimes, marvelous poetry and great principles for this life and beyond, all woven together in her teaching as though she were really just unfolding for him day by day one big overarching story. And it's clear from the very brightness on her face and from the creativity of her presentation that this story clearly animates her soul as much as she hopes it will do for her young son. And as she goes on with her instruction day after day, sometimes she reads aloud to him from a scroll, pointing out various words and phrases as she carries along and then pausing to ask him questions to make sure he understands what has been read. Other times we observe mother and son reciting together certain literary passages that they seem to have memorized, perhaps from other similar scrolls. Often they sing together words apparently taken from one of the scrolls or other and set to music, the mother silencing her own voice now and again to see if the son really is singing and to see if he really knows the words. And on occasion, mother and son even seem to be acting out to the little boy's great delight some of the stories from their books. And spending these days in Lystra, looking on this happy little pair, we cannot help but anticipate that this young boy has a marvelous start toward becoming, like his mother, a great knower and a great lover of whatever these stories are that she is so diligently, lovingly, creatively instilling into his little mind and heart. And this, brothers and sisters, this is the backdrop behind those passages that we read in Paul's letter to this little boy, Timothy, now all grown up. And this is the background that made Timothy the preacher that he was. Now, I realize that all the details I've just imagined aren't recorded in First or Second Timothy chapters 1 and 3. But given what is recorded in those verses that we read about how Timothy knew the scriptures from boyhood and about how he had the same faith that his mother had, I don't think that there's really much imagination needed to paint the scene that I've just painted. There simply must have been the sorts of things going on that I just described between Eunice and her son so that Paul could write all those years later about the impact of Timothy's mother and his upbringing upon his life even now as a minister of the gospel. So that when we think about what she must have been like, this Eunice, and how she must have poured into her son This otherwise unknown, unheralded young woman called Eunice becomes actually for us a quintessential portrait of biblical motherhood. I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I'm sure it is in you that it is in you as well. Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings. Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. And from whom had Timothy learned the biblical truths that he was now proclaiming as a minister of the gospel? 
Well, certainly he had learned from Paul, as the apostle tells us here in 2 Timothy 3.10, you followed my teaching. He learned from Paul. Paul was like a father in the faith to this young man. But Timothy had also learned the Bible, Paul says, well before he ever met Paul. Way back in his childhood, from his mother, Eunice, who passed down her own faith and the sacred writings from which that faith was born to her son. And so I hold this young woman up before you today as a model of what you ladies can be, of what some of you have been, and of what you must be for your own Timothys and Tiffany's and so on. And I will hold up some other passages this morning as well, of course, all of which will come together to give us a biblical portrait of motherhood because I want you moms today to hear and to be encouraged and to be wooed toward a biblical vision of motherhood and to keep going where you're on the right track and to catch a vision for growth and change in the areas in which you may not be on the right track. And I want you younger women and you girls who will someday be mothers to have a kind of beautiful manifesto in your heart as to all that motherhood can and should be. And I want you men to pray for your wives and for you boys and girls to pray for your moms and for all of us to pray for the mothers and future mothers in these pews and in our lives elsewhere to be what Eunice was. And I want you older women, too, who are past your most intense years of motherhood to have this manifesto in your hearts as well, so that as God commands you in Titus 2, you will be able to encourage the young women to love their children. That's Titus 2. That's the command. If you're an older woman, your children are grown, part of your role in the church is to, quote, encourage the young women to love their children. And so you see, ladies, there's mothering left to do, even if your kids are grown. And indeed, even if you never had children, there is spiritual mothering to do, training young women in the church and training your own adult daughters as well how to be godly mothers. Read about it in Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. How to be godly mothers and other things that Paul wants you to teach young women as well. And so ladies, even if you get to the end of this sermon and you realize that you weren't Eunice, that you weren't what you should have been, and perhaps especially if you realize that you weren't what you should have been, you must listen today, not so that you can uh, flog yourself but so that you have something to offer to the young women in your life whose Timothys are crawling around their ankles today and who need a Eunice. Perhaps even pleading with them, as my friend Nathaniel Pringle suggested to me as he and I were discussing this sermon series, pleading with them, he said, not to make the same mistakes that perhaps you made. So there's something today for everyone. And here's how we're going to proceed in sort of cutting out the biblical outline of motherhood so that you young ladies can stitch it together in your own life according to God's pattern. We're going to talk about the roles of the mother under two simple headings today, with the second one occupying much more time than the first and being, I think, even more foundational, though they are both 
vitally important. So what are the roles of biblical motherhood? What should mothers be providing to their children? Well, first of all, ladies, let's think about nourishment. Nourishment. And here we should turn our attention for the next little while uh, and turn our Bibles for the next little while to the book of Proverbs and chapter 31. Proverbs 31, we spoke about these verses a few weeks ago under the topic of wives, and we turn here again to think about mothers. Proverbs 31, and we ask, what do we discover in this final chapter of the book of Proverbs, written, verse 1 you'll notice, by an unknown man called Lemuel. There's different opinions about who he may or may not have been. But what do we discover here in what Lemuel wrote? What do we discover about biblical motherhood? Well, one thing that we discover is that an excellent wife, a Proverbs 31 woman, a biblical mother, provides nourishment. First of all, she gives food to her household. Verses 14 and 15, she is like merchant ships, She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens, who apparently probably live in the household. A a godly mother makes sure her family, this is really simple, she makes sure her family is fed, that they're nourished. Now, this is not a very 21st century American portrait, I realize, Uh, In the American portrait, so often every family member fends for him or herself, uh, or they often have to order in pizza or grab a sack of burgers because mom is too busy or too distracted to be sure that her family eats together and eats well. But here is a family in which the mother is clearly working hard both to procure her family's nourishment in verse 14 and to prepare it in verse 15. And I just commend these verses to you, ladies, simply as part of the normal role of being a godly wife and mother. This is not a construct of the leave it to beaver generation. This is the Bible. She brings her food from afar She gives food to her household. Now, I'm not saying the husband should never cook or that the children shouldn't also pitch in. In our house, they do the dishes. And so I'm not suggesting, children, that your parents make you do that. But parents, it's not a bad idea. I guess I am suggesting uh, that they do that. But I'm, So I'm not saying that the, the dad and the kids don't participate in this work, nor am I saying that there are never occasions when it's okay to say, you know, it's been a really long week, let's just order a pizza. That's not the point of these verses. But the point of these verses is that a wife and mother takes the main responsibility for making sure that her family is fed, nourished. And let me just insert a caveat here that most of our families would probably be much more healthy physically And relationally, if there was a great deal less of the last-minute food, fast food, because either mom isn't prepared or dads and kids are always on the run, and if there was a good deal more of the family around the dinner table with a well-thought-out meal prepared by the woman of the house who is charged with that biblical responsibility. Part of the wife and mother's role, then, is nourishment. 
But I want you to think about nourishment, not just that comes on your dinner plate, but also in this broader sense of her care for her family's physical needs in other ways as well, because the Bible speaks about those too. Indeed, still here in Proverbs 31, we can think not only about food, but about clothing as well. Verses 18 through 22, she senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. So here's a picture of a woman staying up late at night, verse 18, making clothes for the needy, in verses 19 through 20, making clothes for herself, in verse 22, and making clothes for her husband and her children in verse 21, so that she doesn't have to worry that they'll be too cold. Now, chances are most of you ladies don't spend a lot of time at the spindle, twisting wool into yarn. But these verses do suggest in their broader application, whether you are making clothes or not, that it is part of the godly portrait of a godly wife and mother to make sure that her family has clothes to wear, to be faithful with the laundry, to be consistent with the ironing, perhaps to learn a little sewing as needed for repairs and so on. And again, this doesn't just come from the 1950s. This is the Bible. And again, this is not to say the husband shouldn't do laundry too or that he can't sometimes iron his own shirts or sew back on his own buttons, nor is it to say that the children shouldn't be taught from an early age to take full part in washing day as well. But it is worth noticing that when the Bible speaks about the provision for the family's clothing, it speaks about it under the category not of an excellent husband or excellent children, but in this passage about an excellent wife. Verse 10. And so I'm including clothing under this broader category of nourishment, providing a family's physical needs. And I hope you're beginning to see in this portrait of an excellent wife here in Proverbs 31, why the Apostle Paul in Titus 2 speaks of women as workers at home. Encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Titus 2 doesn't preclude work outside the home, and Proverbs 31 even gives examples of work outside the home, and so we mustn't go where the Bible doesn't tell us to go. But I suggest to you, ladies, that you need to be honest with yourselves and faithful to your husbands and children in considering whatever activities you're doing outside of caring for them And asking yourself, with what this passage calls me to do, can I really do it all? Can I really do all this stuff outside the home that I'm committed to do and actually do the things in my home that Proverbs 31 commits me to do? Particularly when my children are still at home. And all of this is before we even get to our other main point. Before we even get to the other role of a mother, which will be much more difficult, too, if she is often away from her home and family. 
But back to this first point about nourishment, about providing just for the physical care of the family, let's also note that since it is the mother's priority to be a worker at home, it stands to reason and is not without some biblical logic that as the mother works at home, she probably cares most of the time for the house itself in what ways she can. I was purposeful at the beginning of the sermon in picturing Timothy wearing clothes that his mother made, having eaten food that his mother cooked, and to this current point, sitting on a floor that his mother had swept. Because all of these things, caring for the family's food and clothing, and in some ways caring for their shelter as well, all these things fit under the rubric of wives and mothers, Titus 2, taking the responsibility to be workers at home. And let me give you a summary statement of all these things from here in Proverbs 31:27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She looks well to the ways of her household. And the results for a woman who looks well to the ways of her household, verse 28, her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. So that's the first thing this morning. That's one role of the mother, nourishment, physical provision for her family. She is like merchant ships, verse 14. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household. Verse 21, she is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. Did you hear it over and over again? Household, 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 household. That's the main theme of the godly woman's work in Proverbs 31 and in the scriptures. But then we also need to think in the second place about the mother's role, not only of nourishment, but of nurture as well. And I say earlier that this is more significant, not because the first point isn't, but because this one lasts for eternity, as we shall see. Nurture. And by this word nurture, rather than focusing on the physical provisions that a mother makes for her children, with this word nurture, we're now going to think more about the development of the children's character, the training of their minds, the formation of their souls, the nurture of their souls. And of course, this nurture includes all the common sense sorts of things that we even expect unbelieving mothers to know and do, I think by kind of maternal instinct. So part of a mother's nurture is certainly encouraging your children in their talents, making sure they learn to read, modeling physical and emotional affection, being a listening ear and a shoulder to cry on, training them in good matters, manners, and in kindness here in Proverbs 31:26, making them behave, disciplining them when they don't behave, and so on. All of that falls under that general instruction in Titus 2.4 that women should love their children. And we think generally that such things are a given, and yet such nurture is not always a given, as the stories that we all hear from this culture of ours will attest. And if that kind of nurture were always a given, 
that which we think of as motherly instinct, if we're a given that that instinct would always prevail over our own anger or our own distraction or our own going off to do other things outside the home, if it were a given that mothers would always do these things, Paul wouldn't have to ask the older ladies in the church to encourage young mothers to love their children, would he? Even Christian mothers sometimes fail at the most basic things and need to hear them again, and so do Christian fathers too. And so this morning, without presuming whether you are doing these basic nurturing things or whether you're not doing them, let me say to you moms, first of all, that your children do need a mother's nurture, the kind of nurture and care that you would give them even if you weren't a believer. Your kids, to put it in our modern lingo, need a mother's touch. They need emotionally, socially, morally, academically for you to nurture them, to truly love them, Titus 2, with a mother's love. Now, of course, they need what dad has to offer in these same areas and from a masculine perspective, but they also need what mom and only mom can be and give them. And again, while that seems like common sense, our culture reminds us all the time that it's not necessarily so. We, all of us, are easily distracted from the most simple things that God has given us to do. And some of us may have our own wounds or our own holes in our lives that would affirm that that is true. And so I plead with you mothers to truly be what nearly all of you know by instinct that a mother should be in the nurturing of her children. And let me say, ladies, on this topic of nurture, that much of what it entails, much of this nurture comes down to teaching, instruction of your children as to how they should live their lives in this world. Indeed, I wonder if you ever noticed that the whole of this famous chapter, I hope you're still there, Proverbs 31, I wonder if you ever noticed that the whole of this famous chapter is one long record of a mother's instruction to her son. Now, chapters 1 through 29, of course, are the instructions of a father, Solomon, to his son. But chapter 31 here, including that wonderful acrostic poem about the excellent wife, Proverbs chapter 31, while written by a son, Lemuel, is actually a record, he says in verse 1, of the sorts of things that he was taught by his mother. The words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. And so, as an aside, if you ever thought that the Proverbs 31 woman was created by the imagination of a man who had an idealized portrait of womanhood and who didn't really know how hard it was to be a wife and mother, you'll have to eat that interpretation, I'm afraid. Because the man who wrote this passage tells us plainly in verse 1 that he got its contents from his mama. The words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. She's the one who told him what an excellent wife should be. But back to our main train of thought. As we think about this passage as the instruction of a mother, perhaps you now see something about an excellent wife here in this final chapter of Proverbs that you might never have noticed before if you only usually begin your reading at verse 10. 
Indeed, it's something that I've never noticed before, namely that part of a godly woman's pattern of life in Proverbs 31 is not only the cooking and the sowing and the generosity with the poor and the buying of fields and the selling of her creations on Etsy.com, all these things that Lemuel's mother recommends that he look for in a wife, but also part of being a Proverbs 31 woman is the example example that Lemuel's mother laid down herself in that she sat down with her son and diligently taught him how to live wise and godly. For this chapter is, again, says its author, the oracle which his mother taught him. And what did she teach him? Well, in verse 3, she taught him about purity. In verses 4 through 7, she taught him about sobriety. In verses 8 and 9, she taught him about social justice. In verses 10 and following, she taught him how to find a wife who is both industrious and who fears the Lord. Verse 30, this chapter is the record of a mother's teaching, a mother's instruction. And I'm saying to you, this is a huge part of what it means to nurture your children. This is a huge part of what it means to be a mother. Not simply to leave the teaching up to the dad, though he has a key and leading role, as we said last week, in the discipleship of the children, not just to leave the teaching up to the so-called experts in the school, or God forbid to leave it so often up to the television and the internet because it's easy to quiet the kids down that way, but to be actively involved in instructing your children yourself, ladies. That's what example we have from the mother of King Lemuel. The mom and the dad, no matter what contemporary custom may tell you, the mom and the dad are the primary teachers of their children. Morally and in every other way. Now, that doesn't mean you can't enlist help, of course, but it does mean that you must instruct them and that you must see it as your responsibility first and no one else's and that you must see to it that instructing your child is one of your main life priorities. Now, there are all sorts of things that moms ought to be teaching their sons and their daughters. But let's just start again by noticing what this mom in Proverbs 31 was teaching her son. Do you remember it? She taught him about sexual purity in verse 3. You're teaching your children about that at an appropriate time in their lives. She taught him about sobriety in verses 4 through 7 about defending the weak in verses 8 and 9. Are we teaching that, parents? And then in verses 10 and following, she taught him how to find an industrious wife who fears the Lord. And so, ladies, I just ask you, are you specifically teaching your children morality in verses 3 through 7, kindness in verses 8 and 9, about what a wife and a mother looks like in verses 10 and following, feeding her family, clothing her family, caring for her household, honoring her husband, nurturing her children, so that your sons will know what to look for and so that your daughters will know what to be? Are you teaching them Proverbs 31 and other passages like it? There are two dangers here. One is that you could teach a passage like this and then totally undermine, undermine it with your own poor example. 
But then there's also the possibility that you yourself, moms, might have given yourself to your household and said, I want to be the Proverbs 31 woman. I'm going to take care of my children. I'm going to take care of my husband. But you're not actually teaching your daughters how to do that. Instead, by allowing them to pursue all the things that the world tells them to pursue and not teaching them how to cook or how to manage a household or how to fold clothes the right way, how to be an excellent wife in emotional and spiritual ways, you're just assuming that they'll be able to do it when they get married just because, well, you know, they listened to that one sermon on it back in September 2016. But I'm saying to you that you might be a Proverbs 31 woman in your home, and yet by not teaching your daughters to be it, and instead by encouraging them in all sorts of other pursuits and life goals and activities that arise out of the culture rather than out of the Bible, you can raise a daughter who's thankful for what you did, but who will not follow in your footsteps because you've not trained her to do so, and she will leave your grandchildren with a distracted or an absentee mother. And so we must example, yes, and we must instruct, just like King Lemuel's mother was doing with her son. And we must teach our sons as well what sort of wife to look for, what sort of woman would make a good mother for his children, how to treat that woman, and so on. Lest he fail as a husband or lest he he marries someone who is not at all what we are saying today that a godly mother is. And so... We learn in Proverbs 31 that a mother's role is to nurture by teaching specifically the words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. But of course we must realize that though Proverbs 31 shows us that a mother is a teacher and though it shows us a great deal of what she should actually teach, Proverbs 31 is not exhaustive in what a mother should teach. Indeed, there's a great deal more on the pages of Scripture that a mother must also pass along to her children as she nurtures them by instruction. And again, that's what we found Eunice doing as we watched her through the window with little Timothy at her knee. In fact, let's just turn back to that scene for a few moments now by turning our Bibles back over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and noticing some things. 2 Timothy 3. What was it, verse 15, that Timothy learned from childhood? Presumably from his mother Eunice. It was the sacred writings, wasn't it? Verse 15. The writings, verse 15, that could lead him to salvation. The writings, verse 16, inspired by God. The writings, also verse 16, that are profitable for our discipleship. The writings, verse 17, that could equip her son to serve the Lord. All of this Timothy learned, yes, from the Apostle Paul, but he learned it first of all at his mother's knee in his own home when he was a little boy. We don't know what role his father may have played or whether his father was a believer or not for sure, but what we do know is that Timothy's mother was a believer and that the faith that dwelt in her later also dwelt in her son and that he knew the writings from childhood so that it's safe to surmise that much, maybe all of Timothy's biblical instruction in the home came from his mother. Yes, I say again, he was the disciple of Paul, but he was first the disciple of an unnamed, an unknown woman called Eunice. 
And I say again, she's a model for you mothers. She is a model for you. We looked last week at Deuteronomy 6 as we thought about fathers, but I say to you here that Eunice was also doing Deuteronomy 6, teaching the Bible diligently to her son, probably in the intentional ways that I envisioned at the outset of our time together, and likely also teaching him the scriptures as Deuteronomy 6 says we should do when they walked to the market and when Timothy lay in his bed at night and when he came to the breakfast table in the morning and in all sorts of other places in between. So that Timothy could have written his own Proverbs 31, I'm sure. Timothy could have written his own collection and record of his mother's faithful instruction to him. And he did write it, in a way, on the souls of all the people to whom he later would preach the gospel using the very same scriptures that he learned at his mother's knee. Whether Eunice knew it or not, she was giving her son his first seminary classes. She was molding a preacher of the gospel. And I hope that moves you, moms, to want to instill the word of God in your children such that if God should call them to be missionaries or pastors or evangelists in their secular workplace or Sunday school teachers or church elders or simply moms and dads running their own little household seminary, I hope you are moved, moms and dads, to teach them in a way that what they will be teaching in those settings someday, maybe so far from home, will be the same sacred, inspired, profitable writings that they were memorizing in the tones of your voice since before they could ever remember. Read the Bible to your children, moms. Yes, dad will do it too when he comes home from work. He will lead in this in the family, right dads? Gathering the family for family worship. But you read it to them all throughout the day too, moms. Teach it to them also in song. There are wonderful resources out there right now in our world for memorizing the scripture with music. Maybe you'll have a verse for the month that you're memorizing somehow. Or maybe you will act out Bible stories sometimes for fun with the children. Maybe you'll use a catechism. I hope you will, like the little yellow one by Karen McKenzie out in the foyer for helping your children learn Bible doctrines. And on and on the practical suggestions could go. But you find your way with your Timothys and your Tiffany's and do all that you can diligently, doggedly, creatively, joyfully to ensure that it will be said of your children that from childhood they have known the sacred writings which are able to give them the wisdom that leads to salvation. And note that last part well. The sacred writings, the scriptures, the books of the Bible that you're going to teach your children Grant to them the wisdom that they need to be saved. So that even more seminal than imagining how your child might someday, like Timothy, take what you are teaching him or her and pass it on to others, even more foundational than that, just think about how much your child needs the word of God for him or herself in the matter of their own salvation. Our children are sinners, in need of a Savior. And the only way that they will obtain the wisdom that leads to salvation, the only way your child, in other words, is going to understand Christ and his cross and his gospel is by means of the word of God. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. 
But Paul says in that same passage, how will they hear without a preacher? And who is the best candidate to be that preacher for your children? Is it not the parents? Is it not the daddy and the mommy? And so mothers, if you want your children to be saved, if you want them to know Christ, then make sure they know these sacred writings from childhood. Take up your God-given role of nurturing your children in the word of God. And if you're not sure where or how to begin, ask one of the other mothers in the room this morning or some other godly mom that you trust to give you some ideas and some encouragement and some accountability and then just get going. And even more than the ideas, do trust that there's power in the word of God so that even if you're not the most profound or the most knowledgeable or the most creative teacher of the word of God, Yet if you will but teach the word of God, God will do wonders through it. And let me say that while I've been primarily speaking both in this point and the last, while I've been primarily speaking about what mothers should be doing, let me pause now and pay tribute because I'm aware that some of you ladies are already doing it and already did it. And your children are blessed for it. And they will rise up and bless you. And if you remain true to the course, young moms, if you keep feeding them, clothing them, sheltering them, nurturing them, especially nurturing them with the word of God, they will bless you. As some of you read from T.V. Moore and E.N.D. Campbell in the most recent bulletin and blog article, it is so often the case that the first sounds of the gospel that ever come into many little ones' ears come in the sound of their mother's voice. What a privilege, ladies. What a high calling. What a field for evangelism. Thank you for taking it up. And remember the rewards that heaven will reveal if you keep after it faithfully. The old Scottish commentator William Arnaud, writing a devotional on the Proverbs 31 woman, entitled the devotional simply, A Heroine. A female hero, in other words. And he's right, you know. The greatest heroes, ladies among you, the fairer sex, are not the Olympians, not the beauty queens, not the entertainers, not the seemingly heroic women on the silver screen, but the women who fear the Lord, Proverbs 31.30, the women whose husbands trust them, the women whose children are nourished, the women whose children are nurtured, especially in the word of God, and whose husbands and children rise up and bless them for it. Many daughters have done nobly, but you, the godly wife, the nourishing, nurturing mother, you excel them all. You are heroes, godly mamas, in your children's lives and in your husband's life. And you are the ones, often more than anyone else, who have opportunity to point them to the hero. Not only of your life and of your family, but the hero of the entire story of God that you, along with Eunice, have been trying to weave together day by day by your instruction of your children from all over the scriptures. The hero. Point them to him. And let me say in conclusion today that Jesus is the hero yet, ladies, even if you have been sitting here today realizing that you are not Eunice. Some of you may have listened today to all that a mother should be and not only 
realize that you missed out, but that it's too late for you to fix it in many ways because your children are now grown. And we talked about earlier about something you can do about that, but I'm here to tell you even more wonderfully this morning that even if you are not a heroine, even if you were not a biblical heroine for your children, Jesus can still be the hero of your story if you will but believe. Because he shed his blood for every sin and every failure and every experience of blowing it that any of his believing people will ever bring down upon their families and their children. Christ is able to redeem children, 1 Peter 1.18, from the feudal way of life inherited from their forefathers. And this same Christ is able to redeem the forefathers too and the mothers as well. Because if we walk in the light, as God himself is in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus, his son, moms, cleanses us from all sin. And so wherever you are today on the spectrum of parental failure or faithfulness, root yourself with Eunice in the sacred writings which are able not only to make your Timothys wise for salvation, but to point you once again to the Savior as well. And these same writings, too, contain everything that you will need going forward to nurture your children, to feed and form their souls, indeed, even to evangelize them if they're grown already, so that under your influence and by God's sovereign grace, they might become men and women of God yet. Adequate equipped for every good work.